Can we give our God a round of applause? That we have so much hope in him. Stay standing for just a moment more. You can stay standing. I'm about to read the passage. And uh, My name is Perry, and I work here at Lake Avenue Church uh, in charge of middle ministries, fourth grade through eighth grade, uh, the squirrely ones. Um, we know it's true. And I, I can't help but get nostalgic as I watch Rafiq uh, play the drums. About seven years ago, he started off as a junior high leader with me. Um, and we used to wake kids up at 5 o'clock in the morning and film it. And we had a terrible, catchy song called Morning Wake in Your Face. And it was just ridiculous. Uh, but Rafiq, I'm so excited for you. I'm so proud of you. And I know the whole church family is. So anyways, I'm going to try not to get choked up. Um, you can find me this morning in the book of Matthew. You can find me in this morning in the book of Matthew. If you have your Bibles with you, go ahead and whip those out. I think it's always fun to actually read our Bibles. The screen's nice. Uh, but let's read the Bible nonetheless. I'll give you a moment to get there. It's the first book in the New Testament. Uh, Matthew 18, Matthew 18, Matthew 18. I always do this with my junior high students. I give them a moment. I'm like, thumbs up when you get there. And I see so many thumbs go this way and then sometimes this way. And I don't know what that means. But okay. Matthew 18. Will you read along with me as we read the word of the Lord? At the time, the disciples came to Jesus and said, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a child to himself and set him before them and said, Truly, I say to you, unless you are converted to become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. That's my baby. Uh, whoever then humbles himself as his child, he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. Let's fast forward to part 10. See that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I say to you that their angels in heaven continually see the face of my Father who is in heaven, for the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. What do you think? If any man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does not he leave the 99 on the mountains and go and search for the one that is straying? If it turns out that he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than the 99 which have gone astray. For it is not the will of your Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. I'm going to pray for us just one more time. Just when you thought we couldn't pray anymore, we pray more. Jesus, God, I completely lay down the desire uh, to sound smart. I completely lay down the desire to be funny, to be a comedian for the sake of your gospel. May my words go away and your words come through. May the Holy Spirit be so thick in this room that we can't walk away the same. We walk away changed, including myself. God, may I be bold this morning, and may we come to know you more in an intimate way. In Jesus, in your name we pray. Amen. Well, Pastor Jeff Mattisich, we've been talking about these parables, and a, and a couple weeks ago, he talked about the parable of the mustard seed, and you don't remember, he came to the service and he passed out a bunch of mustard seeds to kids, and I thought, well, you know, since I'm talking about sheep this morning, maybe I should pass out some sheep. Uh, but apparently it's not in the church budget. It's not good stewardship of the church budget, so I'm sorry about that. Maybe we'll have lamb chops later or something like that. So, No? 
well, this morning I want to start off with a story, a story about greatness. One of the greatest coaches of all time in NCAA history. In fact, he has the most NCAA basketball championships uh, of all time. His name is John Wooden. I want to talk about John Wooden and his relationship between him and his players. Uh, all the players had a unique relationship. Too soon. Uh, all, the, all, the play, all the players had a, a relationship with John Wooden that was a great one. Uh, and it was always unique. And we're going to watch the particular dynamic between John Wooden and the basketball player that is also a, a Hall of Famer, Bill Walton. Let's go ahead and watch that and I'll debrief in just a moment. Just my head, my rule about hair and facial hair, and I stuck to it. From the minute the season was over and the championship was won, we never cut our hair. The off seasons were great. You'd grow your hair, your mustache, had your sideburns. You could express yourself any way you want. Do your thing. cruising around the country and backpacking the John Muir Trail in the Sierras. But once we got ready to start to represent the university, we knew what we had to do. They had to get a cut. That's all there is to it. And the funniest thing was you had this rule that couldn't be any longer than two inches. And the black guys started growing naturals. It was hilarious to watch the conversations. I had a big old fro, so during the summer you would braid it and then pick it out, it was like this. And then when I came in for practice, the coach said, I said, wow, coach, what's your old hair? He said, I couldn't wait for practice to start. Coach Wooden comes in for inspection. Well, what's this? And he goes, what is this? It's unacceptable. So you can't practice today, Bill. I said, come on, coach, what's going on here? He told me after his player of the year and the national championship team went undefeated, I didn't have the right to tell him he had to wear his hair a little shorter and couldn't wear facial hair. And I said, you're correct, Bill, I don't have that right. I just have the right to determine who's going to play and we're going to miss you. In about 15 minutes, I'm not going to have you unless you go upstairs and get taken care of right away. He stood and looked at me. Finally, I said, 14 minutes. I'm out the door. Get on my bike and I ride as hard and as fast as I can. And I race down into Westwood and jump in the barber chair and say, just cut it all off. And give me a plastic razor and a glass of water. And I just rode right in and just dumped my bike right on the side of Polly Pavilion. And went and stood in the back of the line and hoped that he wouldn't notice that I had missed the first five minutes of practice. My, my father played basketball in college, and the coach told him to cut his hair, so he just quit the team. <laughs> a, little, a little bit different. Long hair, didn't want to cut it. Uh, but I love the relationship with Bill Walton and his players, because, or with, coach, uh, with the coach and his players. I mean, it is the epitome of greatness. And a lot of times, these players would come in with their own idea of what greatness was. And, and with him, with Wooden, he just often flipped it around because he demanded so much of his players and they were willing to do that because they trusted him. He was a great coach and they knew that with him they would be great basketball players. So in this passage, here's what's happening. The disciples are now with Jesus and they're following him and I imagine it's one of those awkward scenes like you would see at high school boys at a high school dance. They're kind of crowding with each other, whispering, no, you go forward. No, 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 you go forward. And finally maybe somebody pushes Peter forward and Peter says, hey, Jesus, JC, 
Uh, James has got a question he wanted me to ask. Uh, we just, we just want to know, um, who's the greatest? Now that question would feel really random if we didn't know the context. But that question makes a lot of sense. Two page flips ago, they had just been with Jesus on the mountain, the disciples. They had watched Jesus become transfigured, meaning the glory of God was shining upon Jesus. The robe is, is flaring. Everything is, is just bright and vivid. It's like an ultimate Jesus power-up moment. And next to Jesus is Elijah and Moses. I mean, talk about a great scene, right? I mean, the translation in Greek of the word great is mega. Talk about mega. So the disciples have this idea of greatness in their brain. So, of course, while they're next to Jesus, they're thinking, well, hey, Moses was up there, Elijah was up there. Well, what about us? So they say to Jesus, who's the greatest? And they're probably thinking forward to heaven. They're not thinking of the kingdom of heaven on this earth. And so Jesus definitely gives them an answer. But what I love about Jesus is sometimes we think we have a tough question for Jesus, but we're not ready for the tough answer. So Jesus grabs the child and pulls the child over and is about to say something that I don't even think the disciples are ready for. He grabs the child and he says to them, he says this, Truly, truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever welcomes one such in my name welcomes me. Isn't this interesting that they're asking about greatness and he, and he picks a child? Isn't it interesting right now in our society, the both from both sides of the political climate, they're always talking about what is greatness and their own greatness and our country's greatness. But I think in the stories of scripture, Jesus flips things upside down and we see what real greatness is. So when he brings over this child, he is challenging the disciples. He is resetting their mindset. He's teaching them how to play the game in a different kind of way. Now, parents, I know you, some of you, and I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, well, if Jesus picked my child, I know that my child would just float over there like a little bird and perch himself before Jesus. I was at VBS. I've seen your kids. They're crazy. It's like Lord of the Flies. I love him. Don't get me wrong. And, and, and it's okay. My kid's crazy too. Charlie's one year old. We were at the store a couple months ago. And, and Charlie was like showing more affection towards dad. And Andy's like, no, she does. She shows more affection towards you. I'm like, that's not true. So we're in the store and I go to give Charlie a kiss and she gives daddy a kiss. And then Andy goes, can mama have a kiss? And Andy leans over and Charlie goes, whack, like that. It's okay, you can laugh. It was a slight, it was a love tap. I laughed, you can laugh. Um, kids are crazy. Uh, but that's not the reason why there's tension with, with the disciples. Once again, the, the coaches is reframing the mindset. Know what the coach has for you, the mindset to play the game, and that's when greatness comes in. What doesn't sit well with the disciples is this. The idea that they could be compared to a child, and if they're called to become like a child, children may be unproven and undeserved. Humble. Vulnerable, dependent, not bursting with theological knowledge, wanderer by nature, willing to take risks. Yes, 
Jesus is establishing that children have value. Yes, he is saying, I am picking a child, because here's the reason why that's also important, is in that story of scriptures, oftentimes the word for child was never written, uh, neither he nor she, it was often written as it, because the child typically didn't have a lot of value during that time. So it is powerful that Jesus says, children have value, but what he's saying in that moment is, listen, Everyone, everyone has value in the kingdom of God, but I am calling you to take on this mindset. Why is it hard for the disciples to embrace? I think it because it reminds us of something that we've worked really hard not to be or even to forget. Do you despise any of these traits? Jesus could sense it in, in the disciples. He said to the disciples, see that you not despise these little ones. The disciples don't like that comparison. I feel like we can feel the same way. You're like, I don't like the idea of being vulnerable. I don't like the idea of, of, being, of being dependent. I like the idea that I am a self-made person. I made myself, I, I can uphold my righteousness, I can uphold my finances. Look at me, look how I've succeeded. I pulled myself up by my bootstraps. Well, let me just say this. Yes, you may have pulled yourself up by your bootstraps, but who gave you the bootstraps to begin with? If you don't have bootstraps, sneakers. I don't know. Okay, something like that. What he's doing in that moment when he's calling them to the mindset of children is he's reframing it. Friends, the moment I elevate myself is the moment I've lost compassion. I've lost grace for the fellow child and the fellow lost. So with this mindset, we can now be effective in playing the game because greatness has now been revealed in the kingdom of God through children. So now we can do something different. We can pursue the lost with freedom because he goes on to talk about the sheep. The lost, the lost, what do I mean by that? No, it's not just because they're lost because of sin. That's not particularly what he is talking about. He is talking about the marginalized, the poor, the broken, the failures, the one who society deems unlovable. Maybe even some of us at the church who we've deemed unlovable. Those are the sheep. You and I are the sheep. In fact, I would say sometimes we never cease to be the sheep. So my first point for us as we live this out with this mindset is this. Instead of pursuing lost, the lost in a place of elevation, we approach them with a heart-to-heart -heart from wanderer to fellow wanderer. I love, I love the organizations that are the anonymous organizations. I love, I love the purpose. I love the success. I love the camaraderie. I love things like Alcoholic Anonymous. But here's the thing. In those groups, no matter what, you have to say the phrase. Whether you've been sober for 10 years or you've been sober for five hours, in the beginning of the session, you start something like this. I, they say something like this. Hi, my name is Perry. Nailed it. And then they say... My name is Perry, and I'm an alcoholic. Now, why would they have to say that? Why would they have to say that phrase, something like that? Well, they're acknowledging the wanderer on the inside. They're acknowledging the temptation to, to be an addict. They're being vulnerable amongst each other. And so the, level, the playing field is leveled amongst each other. And so there is hope. There is light within this group because they can hold each other up. And they're not putting on a facade of something that isn't real. You might think, well, I don't want to tarnish my legacy to this person. 
I don't want to tarnish my legacy of my vulnerability to the younger generation. Well, let me just say this. Your legacy is the blood and redemption of Jesus Christ. That's your legacy. That's the thing you uphold to the rest of the world is what Jesus has done. And if we don't want to do that, we might as well stop singing, Come Thou Fount. Not the whole song, but there's that one part. Do you know what I'm talking about? Can you guess? Prone to wander. Prone to leave the God I love. Prone to leave the Lord, I feel it. The author is saying, I feel this tension on the inside. I may know Jesus and his resurrection power, but I feel this proneness. I feel this tension on the inside to walk away. I feel this tension of wrestling with this. The apostle Paul nails it when he's talking about his life. He says this, I do not understand what I do. For what I, for what I want to do, I, I do not do, but I hate what I do. Paul is saying, ah, there is this tension. Anybody in this morning dealing with that tension? Anybody in this morning feeling like you came in lost? Well, I just want to say, hi, my name is Perry Hawkins. And I'm a wanderer. And I'm glad you're here. My next point is this. Instead of pursuing the lost in a manner that is calculated and cautious, we do it with freedom and reckless abandoned. Jesus references a shepherd. He doesn't use a particular shepherd. He doesn't say anybody's name. But he references this shepherd that goes out of his way in treacherous, treacherous lands, going out of his way to rescue that one sheep because that one sheep has value. When I think of a shepherd, my mind rewinds back to David. In that scene where, where Goliath is challenging everybody with the, with the Philistines and everybody's cowering, David walks onto the scene and says to Saul, Saul, uh, I, I just want to let you know, uh, when I was a shepherd, um, here's what I did. Your servant was tending his father's sheep when a lion or a bear came and took the lamb from the flock. I went out after and attacked him and rescued it from his mouth. But when he rose up against me, I seized him by his beard and I struck him and I killed him. And David didn't even do that with CrossFit. Do you see this scene? Do, do you see the words like reckless and abandoned? Do you see David putting his own self on the line? Guys and girls, I know that you can feel that passage. You feel like, oh, yeah, I just want to beat my chest. It's so amazing. There was a mom uh, a couple months back. Her daughter uh, was, was bit by a pit bull, and the pit bull locked its jaws uh, on, onto the daughter. And so the, mo the mother, in her protective nature, in her reckless nature, bites the pit bull until it releases her daughter. Her daughter was fine. I mean, but talk about reckless. I mean, talk about loving with abandon and talk about not sanitary. But talk about reckless. Um, <laughs> But let's take it even further. There's a group of women, pastors' wives, that, that, that do, and pastors, uh, that do a Bible study. And they do a Bible study in the least likely place. They do this Bible study in a strip club for strippers. Reckless. Why? Their name is on the line in their community. People will look down on them. Where they're going is probably not always the safest place. I mean, that, that is reckless. They are being reckless with their time. But they're doing it because they're going to serve the lost because that was Jesus called us to do. They're not outside of the strip club with picket, with, with, with picket lines and, and, and signs saying, you're lost, you're lost, you're lost, you're lost, you're lost. No, they're going on the inside of the club. I would argue to say, what's happening on the inside of the club? They're already feeling lost and they're dealing with their lostness. Meaning, a lot of times it goes like this. I felt lost 
And so I got a divorce. I felt lost when I was younger when the abuse happened to me. And so this is what I did. A lot of things that we see that we make judgment on is just a reaction of dealing with our lostness. Does that make sense? We feel lost, and so we are doing something with that. We are trying to take back control. We are just trying to manage that. And so they are showing compassion. They are being reckless. And I'll say this, we can be reckless because our God is reckless. Our God is reckless. You know why? Because the cross is reckless. It is, it is the, the epitome of recklessness and abandon because God turns his face away from the sun because he sees humanity as fallen and broken, yet worthy to be saved from the 99 to the 1. I mean, the epitome of reckless. So if our God can be reckless with his love, so can we. The cross is reckless. His love is reckless. Third point, instead of welcoming the fellow lost sheep with rules and regulations and constituencies, we throw a party full of rejoicing like it's 1999. Some of you will get that song on the way home. <laughs> Let me give you an example. When I was younger, I was five years old, and my dad dropped me off at a park and say, hey, it said, hey, your brother's over there playing on the basketball court. My brother, about seven, eight years older than me, and he says, Tell him that you're there, and then we'll walk with you home, because home's about a couple blocks away. And so me being an excited five-year-old, I'm not focused on Ben. I'm focused on the glorious playground. So I go over to Ben and say, Ben, I'm here. And I run away, and I'm playing in the playground. I'm having a blast, and all of a sudden, uh, the sun sets. It's getting really dark. All these kids go home, and it's just me, and I look over to the court, and Ben's gone. And I panic. I mean, I am, I am, I'm not knowing what to do, so I don't know how to get home. So I'm wandering through this neighborhood crying, yelling out, Ben, Ben, where art thou? No, just kidding, no. I'm yelling, Ben, where are you? And I'm panicked. I'm thinking, this is it. Like, I'm just going to be wandering. And I'm sitting there, and as I look to this alley, and I'm bawling, I'm terrified. Just in that moment, Ben walks out, walks over to me, looks into me in the eyes and says, don't tell dad. <laughs> um, super compassionate. Uh, but he says that. But he hugs me and he loves me and he walks me home. And it was just this big, uh, big brother moment. But picture this. What if Ben had walked over and said, what's wrong with you? What were you thinking? How could you be so stupid? How could you not let me know where you were? What is your deal? That wouldn't make sense. And it wouldn't make sense for the shepherd when the shepherd finds the sheep to, the sheep to be like, sheep. What's wrong with you? Sheep, how could you be so sheepish? And so furry, I'm angry with you, sheep. The sheep would have no idea. No, 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 no. It doesn't make sense to do that. And so those that are lost that have been found, they deserve a party. They, they, they deserve a party. They, they reserve rejoicing. You who, who are curious about Jesus for the first time and you feel like he is finding you for the first time, you deserve a party. You reserve rejoicing. If you, are, if you were found and you got lost again, I don't care. You deserve a party as well. Because here's the thing, friends. If we don't throw a party for the fellow lost, the enemy will. The enemy will, because the enemy is waiting for them to feel abandoned by the church. The enemy is waiting for them to feel exiled. And so the enemy is just waiting. And so we better throw a party with them and let them know that they are welcome in this place and in our church. Amen. 
I mean, if we can rejoice so much, let's be honest, if we can rejoice so much about the Los Angeles Rams returning home the sheep, <laughs> we can throw a party about that. We can throw a party for the lost. Those of you that play Pokemon Go, if you can rejoice about the Pikachu that you found, you can rejoice about the lost. We rejoiced in the lost and the marginalized. The person that was just drunk 24 hours ago, we rejoice that they're here. We rejoice in the person dealing with the divorce, we rejoice that they're here. We rejoice with the person feeling lost in elementary school, we rejoice that they're here. Greatness is becoming like a child in how you see yourself and the rest of the world. You know what keeps me coming back to that mindset? You know what at times keeps me humble? It's this little reminder about 8 a.m. every single morning in the form of a little white pill. You see, in my family, there's a long history of anxiety and depression that runs deep in our veins, and it didn't pass me by, and I deal with the same thing. You see, I, I, I take that pill every morning because I'm so grateful for medical science and that I live in a generation where God has used medicine uh, to help me and to help me see the world more clearly. And I feel my own proneness, my pr own proneness to wander into anxiety, my own proneness to wander into depression. But it keeps me humble because I never forget my humble beginnings and my leanings upon Jesus and my dependency upon Jesus. It helps me never to forget. And so may you and I Never forget. My father-in-law used to say this saying. He used to say this. He used to say, we never know if we could be just one day away from that. We could just be one bad day away from that. One bad conversation. One bad car crash. And so it keeps us in a humble place. And so I can now do this with freedom because of the blood and the redemption of Jesus and we can approach the rest of the world for the sake of the gospel with the mindset of a child reaching the sheep and we can say something like this. Hi, my name is Perry and I'm a wanderer. A wanderer like a sheep. And I am completely dependent upon the blood and redemption of Jesus. But it is with great freedom that I show and tell you about Jesus that finds you over and over and over and again. And let me pray for us right now. Jesus, Lord, may we continue to know you. And God, may you put on our hearts somebody who we can pray for. In your name we pray. Amen.